Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 180 of the Mandolins and Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you in part by Acoustic Disc, where they just released an incredible album, Tony and Wyatt Rice Together. No mandolin content, but man, some killer, killer playing lots of great fiddle tunes. It's a fantastic release. They also have their newest Acoustic Encounters episode, episode 19, which is part three of Danny and Dog listen to DGQ20. And don't forget to sign up for the mailing list while you're there and you get a free treat of the week. Also brought to you by Grace Design Preamps. We actually talk about Grace Design quite a bit in this interview here with my guest this week, Ethan Bush of Arkansas. The whole band uses them and there's a reason why if you have to plug in, you're plugging into a Grace Design Preamp. So go check out Grace Design Preamps. Hey everybody, I'm home. Thanks to everyone who reached out. I was stuck in Burlington, Vermont for two days. Not a bad place to be stuck. Uh, Not a cheap place to be stuck either though. So uh, it is beautiful and I want to thank everyone who reached out and offered uh, places to stay or some picking or some fishing trips. I really appreciate it. I'm just glad to be home. More time. I got eight tracks done now of recording this top secret project. I'm almost to the point where I feel like I can talk about it. Uh, may I have a few more sessions? And uh, I couldn't be more excited. It's even it's turning out better than I expected, and I can't wait to tell you all about it. And I do want to point out we were the maiden voyage, the session in Portland, Maine, at Tusk Audio, and it was an incredible experience. Uh, Roy Davis has built an incredible studio in Noah Fishman who engineered this. They couldn't have been more accommodating and it's the, the first the first session. So if you're in Portland, Maine and you're looking for a place to record, I have to give a big shout out to Tusk Audio. They were great. I mean all the sessions that I've done have been incredible, but this is the, this is the first one and Roy built this place himself. It's it's incredible. So follow them on the social medias. Also, the shirts, the mandolin shirts, the Supreme logo shirts are back in stock. I have a batch mailing out today, and since Burlington was expensive, now would be a great time for me to suggest some shirts and stickers at my website, mandolinsandbeer.com. Uh, even if you don't want those, I just want to thank everybody for the, the consistent support, the uh, Instagram follows, Facebook follows, the, the blog or the website follows, and, and the subscriptions to this. If you haven't, if you're new to this, and I think there's some new people, the numbers have gone up in the, in the past few weeks. So if you're catching up on these episodes and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. If you haven't left a review at iTunes, please do so as well. And let's get into the sponsors this week before we get into my conversation with Ethan. Peghead Nation with Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You can learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. Who, you ask? How about Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, Chad Manning, and Ian Corey? Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And if you join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now, you get your first month for free. Go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at NorthfieldMandolins.com and download their app at MandoSummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops, ear trumpet labs, hand-built microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed. They have great feedback rejection for live use and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. You can check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com. Today, Pavel Mandolins, dedicated to building for the impassioned player right there in Austin, Texas. Pava Mandolins, beautiful-looking, beautiful-sounding mandolins. You know, one of my favorite things to do when I'm looking to change things up on, on sounds on my mandolin, if I, you know, can't just go out and buy a brand new mandolin every day, but you can go out and you can buy strings and picks. For strings, you should go to straightupstrings.com and check out these incredible strings. Hear every note of every chord. Go to straightupstrings.com and check out the science in the countless hours that Roger Simonoff has put behind developing these strings. There's some great science behind it. I can't explain it because I'm not a scientist, but there's a great description at the website and while you are there sign up 
for the mailing list. And don't forget to use the promo code all caps Mando Beer to get 10% off strings and books. Thank you to Roger Simonoff. You can also try out picks. Go to toneslabs.com. Frank and Dave, Frank Sullivan, you know him from Dirty Kitchen. And all sorts of other things. You know, he's not doing anything halfway. Him and David have gone through and come up with some incredible slabs of tone. They've got all the great shapes. They're even always taking suggestions on new shapes to try. Bevels, if you like them, awesome. They can bevel it. You don't like them? Great. You don't need a bevel. Just tell them what you want. They'll make it. They'll ship it out. Get yourself a slab of tone. Or heck, maybe you want to buy yourself a brand new mandolin. Maybe you want to get one of those Ellis. Maybe one of those Pavas. Maybe one of those beautiful Northfields. You can get them all at Elderly Instruments. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. For the experienced beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles. And did I say mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. Heading into their 51st year, they're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com. All right, let's get into this interview with Ethan. What a nice guy, great player. They have the brand-new album out today. You should go out there and get it. It's available to listen to on all of the streaming platforms, obviously. But if you like what you hear, again, I always implore you to go out and and buy this. This is an independent release, and it's a lot of time and money doing so. So go out and support your favorite mandolin players. And speaking of that, hey, everybody at Mandolin Camp North today. What a great lineup of instructors there. I hope everybody's having a blast. They're going to have a great weekend. I hope you do, too. Cheers, everybody. Well, now it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Ethan Bush from Arkansas. How's it going, Ethan? It's going great, man. How are you doing? Doing great. Congratulations. You guys have a brand new album coming out tomorrow if you're listening to this podcast. Actually, it comes out tomorrow when we're talking. It comes out today when this episode comes out. It's called OK to Wonder. Congratulations. Thanks, man. Yeah, we are uh, super proud of it and super excited to get it out there for everybody. You should be proud of it, man. I've been listening to it for the last few days now, and it's a really, it's a really great listen. You guys did a great job of mixing instrumental tunes and vocal tunes. Tunes have some meaning. Yeah, it's great stuff, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, we uh, that's good to hear. We definitely took a long time uh, picking and choosing. Had to, had to leave a couple of songs on the shelf uh, for a while. Um, and we were kind of conflicted a little bit, like, uh, with, with the instrumentals, uh, you might, may have noticed a lot of the instrumentals aren't super straightforward either. Yeah. I've actually noted that because I'd love to talk to it, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, so we, for a while we were like, are we, are we overdoing it with, with that stuff, you know? Um, and it, it had just been a while since we released an album. The first few albums we made just came out one after the other. And then this was like, a lot of it was for COVID reasons. This one's been years in the making now. So we were really excited to, to pick the tunes and try to curate it properly, you know. So, yeah, I'm pretty happy with the with the balance we struck and with the uh, the whole package. And a lot, for obviously a lot of mandolin lovers, I would imagine, listening to this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> if not, I'm not sure how they tuned in, but there's a lot of mandolin, a lot of great kickoffs and, and solos. The mandolin sounds great. Uh, it's, it's, it's cool, man. Actually, um, you really live up to, uh, to your last name, uh, Bush, on the track. Is it Cold Iron? With that little, there's a real Sam Bush-inspired sounding uh, strum at the top. Yeah, that is definitely uh, right where that that came from. Sam <laughs> Sam was definitely one of my biggest biggest influences. Uh, that was uh, when I was just like 16. My sister gave me a handful of CDs that kind of completely changed the trajectory of 
my life in general, but as specifically at the time, my musical tastes. And one of those was uh, Peaks of Telluride. This is a classic. Yeah, so I I wore that out back in the day uh, for like probably from I was age like sixteen to seventeen. I think that never left my CD player in the van, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then a few years back, I was I was going through some Sam Bush lesson on like homespun or something like that, and he was just kind of doing a, a little warm up rhythm thing that was a super classic, uh, the Sam Bush rhythm. Uh, that I kind of just started doing at the beginning of my practices to warm up with, just to get my right hand going. And it kind of ended up being the intro to that song, Cold Iron. Yeah, so that that definitely came straight out of Sam's playbook for sure. As soon as I heard it, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> let's, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's rewind this again real quick. That, was, that sounds great. Thanks, man. Before we get too deep into it, too, you guys are heading out. You're heading out on the road. So if anybody's listening this weekend in the areas, you're headed to uh, Oklahoma, uh, to, you're headed there tonight. Uh, yep, yep. We're at Tulsa tonight at a venue called The Shrine. Um, that's going to be a real fun one. That venue is really cool. Uh, tomorrow is uh, Oklahoma City um, at the OKC Beer Hall. Uh, that's a new venue for us, but it's the same folks that own the Tower Theater, and those are really good people that are really hospitable, and we've got a handful of good venues down there. Um, and that'll be the official album release party. And uh, then on Saturday, we'll be at Mulberry Mountain in Arkansas playing the Backwoods Music Festival. We'll be on main stage at 4 o'clock on Saturday. And you guys play a lot of shows, it looks like, looking at your schedule. Yeah, we we uh, we hit it pretty hard in the spring and summer. We tend to, we tend to relax a little bit in December and January. Uh, uh, December, we, we usually take a lot of time because we're usually preparing for a New Year's Eve run. We have a lot of sit-ins and stuff, and uh, everyone's doing some Christmas travel and stuff anyways. So we kind of took December and January off this year. So right now we're back at it pretty heavy, and everyone's still pretty gun-ho right now. You know, no one's burnt out yet. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's, it's only April. Oh, it's, 420. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's 420 today, too. Oh, man. Well, that'll be a good time tonight for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think that is the the uh, I think that's the nature of the event. Yeah, yeah. A, a, bunch of, <laughs> a bunch of vendors of that sort there. So how did you was so were you playing mandolin before your sister gave you that handful of CDs? Was that even in your orbit or were you just no, not, not at all? No kidding. Yeah, I, I didn't really grow up uh, uh, playing at a young age. I, I had the classic, like the old, uh, the old beat up guitar in the corner of the room that I learned a few chords on, you know, when I was like ten or twelve ish, you know. And then that was pretty much the extent of it until around that time. I was, I, I was either fifteen or sixteen, I guess, when my sister gave me all those CDs, and uh, uh, and I think later that year I went to my first bluegrass festival in Arkansas, and. Uh, uh yeah and I, I saw railroad earth for the first time that weekend i saw uh, my first uh keller williams set um i saw a bunch of cool stuff but but the mandolin really stuck out to me uh at that festival i, I had a bunch of friends that played instruments and not really any bluegrass at the time but it was kind of like everyone played a guitar and uh i just had the thought man if i had a different instrument to play with them i'd be a lot more motivated than being the worst <laughs> than being the worst guitar player in a group of guitar players you know <laughs> right <laughs> uh so i went home that weekend thinking about it and later on in that week i just went to the local music store and bought the cheapest mandolin they had and started taking lessons with a local guy and that's kind of how it how it started really fast in like a year's time or so it just went zero to 60 20. now was it did they have like a lot of mandolins at that music store that no, no, definitely not. I mean, it was a, uh, it was a small, it was a pretty small town I grew up in, and uh, it was the only music store. And I don't think there was definitely no man, no man lens of inequality that I can remember. Uh, but they only had like three or four hanging on the wall. So in my my mind, with my little burger flipping job, it was just, just give me whichever one's cheapest, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So, yeah, and then I, I played that mandolin for a couple of years, taking lessons and not really not really thinking at all about making a career out of it, just wanting to be a little bit more proficient, you know, be able to play with friends, you know. I had one other mandolin before the, the Gibson I have now, 
And the other one I had was pretty was pretty cheap too. It was kind of a beater as well. It was like an Epiphone, I think, like one of those blonde Epiphones. I see them around sometimes. It's still kind of common. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was it was still in in hindsight just insanely hard to play. You know, you never you never know until you really play a good instrument. <laughs> yeah. what you're missing out on, you know. Uh, and then when I got my Gibson in my in my head, I was like, well, I'll, I'll always keep that other one, and I'll probably want to play it too. And I bet I haven't opened that case. In, six years i think i i think i loaned it to my nephews and I, I don't know if they're playing it or not but and what kind of stuff are you working on with the teacher what was he what kind of stuff was he showing you was he a bluegrass player or was he like a guitar teacher that taught mandolin no he was he was a bluegrass player i, I cannot remember his name right now it was a while back obviously but uh he he was definitely I felt like he was almost trying to whitewash the bluegrass out of it for my sake because he didn't really know exactly how much of what I wanted to learn, you know, uh, but I could tell, but I could tell that was what he was really into. And so, I mean, we started with just like, uh, just learning the fretboard, you know, basically and learning basic chord shapes, but pretty quickly he just gave me an album full of, uh, fiddle tunes, uh, just a mix of different instrumentals and just asked if anything really, really struck my ear. And I came back with a handful of those. The first one I remember being Cherokee shuffle, and so then we just started going through fiddle tunes really slow. And I mean, you know, I hadn't been taking lessons long at all. So teaching me a fiddle tune was not an easy task. Uh, but he was really patient. And that's how he went about it for a while. Um, and then I took a break from lessons for a long time. And when I got my uh, new mandolin, uh, my Gibson, I started learning a bunch of fiddle tunes and realizing that I was coming back across some of those first ones I've learned with that guy, you know? Uh, but yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of laid, laid back. Like I had a couple different teachers. None of them were ever super, super aggressive. Um, but I think that was good. It gave me, gave me some time to shape my own taste. You know, I love how he gave you an album was like, if any of these stand out, let's learn them. That's, that's a really great way to, to you know, teach somebody something they're not familiar with. Yeah, for sure. And just a great way to keep someone new excited, you know, um, as long if you, you know, if they're, if they're picking the tunes, then you, you're not wondering if you're boring them to death or forcing them <laughs> through it. Yeah, you know? totally. And then when did you, so when did you start playing and meeting the guys in Arkansas? Cause you guys have been doing it since, I mean, your first album was 2015. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, uh, we've been with the current lineup in the band for, like eight plus years, probably eight going on nine. Um, we had a slightly different lineup at the beginning. We uh, had some shifts, and but once it but once it settled in, we knew we knew it was going to be a, the forever band, you know, unless something just outlandish were to happen. So yeah, I've, I've always known Zach, the guitar player. We grew up down the street from each other, um, like uh, in in our tiny town in Arkansas, about two thousand people. We were like just two streets apart. And we were always friends through junior high and stuff. He was actually in a metal band uh, that I was a huge fan of. And that was, I think, where we both probably probably the little seedlings of us wanting to be musicians probably started way back then, you know, seeing seeing him play those first shows. Uh, and I got to play. That was my first stage experience. I got to sit in on bass uh, for a couple of those shows and they were missing a guy. Um, so me and Zach eventually moved up to Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I started playing tunes with a couple guys that I worked with. And one of those guys ended up being one of the first members of Arkansas. So it was me, Zach, and this other fella on guitar. And we wrote pretty much the whole first album like that. And then shortly after that album came out, we uh, met the other guys. We started getting a little bit more involved in the local music scene and, you know, finding some options. And, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was actually, we, we were headed to a festival and the bass player we had at the time ended up going to jail on the way. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, for, uh, for what exactly, I can't remember, but he was not going to be at the festival. So we got there, we were, we were kind of panicking. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> yeah, it was like one of our first bluegrass festivals. We were so excited. And then we were super panicky and we got there and uh, we were talking to... Our buddy Adams, who we had met, and he was talking about sitting in with us on banjo, and he was like, "Well, I know a bass player too over here that would love to fill in if you if your guy's not going to make it." And then, so that that was the first night that we played with our current lineup. It's been that way ever since. So it was pretty serendipitous. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. 
that sometimes it works out. Yeah, for sure. That was a really special moment. I think that those guys were head and shoulders kind of above where I was musically. And, you know, it's just like anything else you gotta be playing with people that people that are pushing you, you know, and you can learn from constantly. Uh, so that was, that was definitely a big swing and me realizing like how much those guys practice and how much work they put into it. You know, I was like, Oh, I, I see. You know, you weren't, just born, you weren't just born like this. You know, you guys are working your asses off on it. What did it look like for you practice wise when you figured out like, man, I need to start, I need to start woodshedding. Like what things were you working on to kind of catch up with those guys? Um, so at first I just went back to, uh, just learning fiddle tunes. Like I was like, uh, if, it's, as, if I just keep learning fiddle tunes, I'll start to connect some of these phrases. I'll be able to improvise with them, which I'd heard people say a lot, you know, and it's true. Uh, and then, then I started to realize there was a lot of right hand stuff that I was missing, you know, uh, cause you don't always learn that just from, you know, learning, learning fiddle tunes, you know, uh, so I was I was taking some some online lessons with Jacob Jolliffe, and it was the first thing he pointed out. He was like, "Oh man, you're." He was like, "You got a really efficient left hand, and you seem confident. You got good fretboard knowledge, but you got to really get that right hand moving because uh, that's going to be your. That's really going to be who you are as a bluegrass player." Um, so that was kind of a rude awakening, and after that, I just really started diving into a lot of cross picking exercises um, to kind of make up for lost time there, and. I still probably do like when I first pick up my mandolin during the day, I probably still do like 20 minutes of cross picking exercises before I really go in on the fretboard. Uh, and I've noticed that like, if I, if I have to skip that for some reason, like, you know, rolling up late to a show and it's a really quick warm up, that I, I, it's probably more mental than anything, but it shakes my confidence if I haven't done that yet today, you know, for sure. Yeah, that's the worst, man. And especially if you're rolling in late, like you said, to a gig. Sometimes that happens if you're traveling. You're like, oh, right. no. We're just getting, we're literally <laughs> coming in hot is an understatement. You know, you're just basically jumping on stage. Yeah. Oh, man. So, so yeah, when I really first started, like, really digging into spending a lot more of my day practicing and trying to prioritize it, you know, like, do it first thing in the day. That way it doesn't get lost in the shuffle somewhere. Um so yeah, that that was mostly cross picking exercises and fiddle tunes, um, and then I, every once in a while when I would start getting bored, I would just supplement with like I, I like homespun tapes a lot, you know, uh, and just going through those lesson plans that like uh, I've been through Mike Marshall's and Sierra's and all those, and those are a good way to shake it up when I start boring myself with practice, you know. <laughs> totally. So when did you decide like this is okay? We got we got something here. I mean, this is. We, we can do this. I mean, because it's, it's a tough road, man. You, you know, music is. You guys, I mean, you travel a lot, so you probably realize that. You know, when was it that you were like, okay, let's uh, let's even take this more serious than what we were doing? Yeah, I think for, I think for me it was uh, it was kind of two big things. One, one of those things was getting on the road with the guys for a couple of long stretches and realizing that we could do it. Um, that we could stand each other. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. cause that's such a huge part of being, you know, how far are you going to take this band? If you're going to end up not get, getting along with the guys, you know, that could be, a, that could be a way. So when we got all got on the road and we were like, Oh no, we can, you know, we, we really gel. Uh, so that, that got me kind of excited. Like, Oh man, this, this has some legs in that sense. And then that paired with, um, once we got on the road, it hit a, hit a few markets, came back in a few months and saw people wearing shirts and saw people singing lyrics and stuff. Um, you know, that was like the moment like, oh, man, those people saw us one time five months ago and they've been they bought the shirt. They learned the songs and they've been waiting for us to come back. Like that was a huge feeling of accomplishment. You know, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. So that that was I mean, we had we had a good, good home base of fans here in our hometown hometown that really took care of us for the first few years and just to see that starting to develop elsewhere that was really eye-opening that you know we're doing something that's working oh i'm paralyzed by your pair of eyes and it's been a while since i've seen your smile baby i can't wait no i will not hesitate because it's been a minute since i've been up in it
putting out independently. Had you guys been on a label at any point in between that? Uh, nope. No, we've never, we've never used a label, uh, to put out an album. We, uh, I mean, we just really started using booking agents the last like three or four years for a while. We were pretty, pretty grassroots with it. Nice. Uh, uh, but yeah, we've never really, uh, the la- the label thing has never really c- come up with us for whatever reason. Uh, everything, every album that we've always, that we've put out has seemed to go pretty smoothly. You know, we haven't run into any major issues. Uh, and you know, we, we wanted to kind of step it up this time, so we hired a publicist to help get the word out a little better. You know, yeah, Aaron's great. I I've um, uh, dealt with Aaron a few times. She's excellent. Yeah, she she's done a great job and kind of kind of showed us the ropes a little bit more on how to handle uh, just getting the word out there. Um, but yeah, no record label. We we finally got some people on our team as far as management, booking agents, and Aaron, but still independent in the in terms of releasing stuff. Yeah, good for you. I mean, you guys have uh, your the engineer that you used for the credits and the mastering have, you know, some pretty some pretty excellent credits. Leftover Salmon, String Cheese Incident, Hot Rise. Um, right, yeah. Know, Sunvolt, I love Sunvolt. Yeah, he, uh, he's, he's been great. We, we uh, you know, we work with him remotely. He's out in Denver, I believe. Uh, but he's always been super easy to communicate with. Uh, we were on on tour with yonder a few years back for about a month or so. And, uh, we were asking them, uh, about just out about album stuff. And anyways, that was, uh, that was their recommend recommendation. That was who they had been using recently. And we've stuck with them ever since. So that record sounds fantastic. It really is great tones. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and the guy we worked with in the studio, the engineer in the studio, Darren crisp, he's a, a local guy that we've all been friends with for a while and everyone's worked with, but man, he, he really makes a difference in the studio too. He, he's one of those guys who can really sense how much of a makeshift producer you need or want. You know what I mean? Like he can, he can tell when you're struggling with something and you need a little bit of encouragement or a new fresh idea or something else step in. And he's also really good at staying, staying out of it when you don't want that, you know, that's a fine line. <laughs> For sure, yeah. It can, and it can change really fast, but he's really good at dancing it and keeping everyone happy and motivated in the studio. So much of credit to him, too. I want to ask you about writing these instrumentals, but I also, um, the song First Night of the Tour is just a great, great song. It hits so many, uh, yeah, man, it hits so many buttons <laughs> when I was listening to it. I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> so I'd, I'd love to hear the story behind that. Oh, thanks, man. Everybody knows that you don't get drunk the very first night on the road. You're gonna have a lot of time to kill. It's the old story told. One or two to get your mind just right, buddy. Three if you like, but no more. Everybody knows that you don't unload the very first night of the tour. Everybody knows that you don't unload the very first night of the tour. Okay, yeah. Uh, so we were uh, we were headed out to Colorado on one of our very first tours, and uh, uh, we were uh, we stopped to play at this little bar, hole in a wall bar in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Uh, I remember there was a big plaque on the wall saying that Garth Brooks used to play there every Friday night or something like that. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty pretty divey country joint, but but there was a there was a good crowd there, and they were they were pretty happy to see us and. Uh, but pretty early in the night, they started sending shots to the stage, like suspiciously early, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> like you, it's always nice for someone to offer at some point. But it's like we were on the second song, and there was a tray of shots there. I was like, oh no. But we were, but we were all just so excited because it was like I think it might have even been on the first tour that we were going to Colorado. Uh, so everyone was kind of giddy. And long story short, they brought us about five more of those shots Oof. in like the. And we had we had to play a long time too. We were playing like three sets, uh, <laughs> and so I mean we made it through the night, and everyone was everyone was happy. But the next morning it was just like, oh no, what have we done? We've set ourselves up for failure on the next three nights, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh man. So we always we always just joked about that that place and those people and how how fun they were, and then I just kind of started toying around with 
the the lyrics uh a lot of my songs just like pop out real fast but some of the more more kitschy fun ones like that i'm I'm just playing around with in my head for a long time when i'm bored on the road you know uh until until there gets to be enough of a chunk of it that i'm like okay this could definitely be something now then i'll sit down and try to hammer it out but the whole but the whole chorus for that song i was just kind of just kind of working little by little in my head for years after that origin story occurred yeah that's a great one man it was uh <laughs> it was yeah i had to listen twice i'm like oh wow you nailed it <laughs> awesome thanks man yeah that that one's always a fun one the crowd always reacts pretty good to that one now these instrumentals um the first thing i have to give you props on is you guys get a lot of ideas across in a short amount of time which is I love because as much I mean, I love the Almond Brothers, love the Almond Brothers, you know, different style of music. But I remember one time I did like a short drive when I was working like a day job it was short. I, was, I remember on, on Monday I started listening to Mountain Jam and on Friday it was still on Mountain Jam. I'm like, man, <laughs> like, I listened to not even one song all week driving. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's it, it's it's a tough thing to do, I think. And none of it feels haphazard and, and none of it feels like thrown together just to to be weird. They uh, they it, they work. And I would love to, you know, maybe just pick one of these tunes and how you guys kind of went about writing it. And you come up with these different ideas because it's really, really inspiring. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, the the. Uh... The one I probably have the most insight on is is Big City Chicken because that because I wrote that tune. more interesting part of the is the other tunes are the ones that kind of have the 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 time changes and stuff and uh, really unique melodies and rhythms more so uh and the, the origin of that is is that our so our banjo player adams collins he uh he has a, a jazz percussion degree oh wow and yeah so that was that was his main stick before he picked up the banjo i think the first time i ever saw him he was playing with a jazz trio and he would play the vibraphone so he's still got a lot of that that percussion stuff in his head that he, that he needs to get out, you know. So <laughs> on a couple on a couple of those instrumentals, he'll he'll like the the whole first session we have working on the song is just Adams giving us different suggestions on rhythms to play there that you wouldn't necessarily expect, you know. And he's got a master plan in his head of how they're all going to come together, you know. Uh, and uh, for instance, like. Um, it's like that. had a really specific idea of what he wanted and as he was putting the pieces together for us to play it was like hearing him one at a time i, I was my mind wasn't there yet you know i, I was like i don't see how this is going to come together <laughs> but 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 in the end it was it was it came out really awesome but anyway so so when we get to the end of one of those processes you, you see what adam's plan was and it all comes together and creates something super unique and kind of non-linear that I wouldn't definitely wouldn't come up with on my own, you know. We we're, we're really good about staying together and rehearsing when we're not on the road. We all live within about five minutes of each other, 
so we do when we're home, we do a, like about a three hour long rehearsal on Tuesday and about a three hour long rehearsal on Thursday. Wow. And a lot of that is going going through the new tunes, you know, and just like trying different ideas over and over and over again. And it can get tedious, you know, everyone gets their everyone gets their turn trying to put their own spin on things, you know. Uh, but that is that is pretty much how our writing processes go. And I think even more so for the for the instrumentals, um, just because, you know, a lot of times when when it's a vocal tune, the person that wrote all his lyrics has a little bit more of an attachment to how they, they want the feel of the song to be, you know. Uh, but when it comes to the instrumentals, I feel like everyone's just kind of more in more of a creative space to begin with. So it becomes more of a more of just kind of a fun puzzle to try to put together and see what what you can what you can add and what you can what you can pull off, you know. Well, that explains the uh, the funky gorilla being influenced by Stanton Moore. The uh, I love that drummer. I used to play drums, and Stanton Moore is one of my all time favorite drummers. So having a yeah. jazz percussion degree that would make sense. <laughs> that would be an influence. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, man, that 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 song was super fun. It was, it's just a, it was a super heavy payoff because it was. It took us a long time to get it to a spot where we were happy and confident with it. Uh, and probably the first couple times we played it on stage was a little bit too nerve wracking to be super fun. But <laughs> but now now we're drilling. I think the last tour we played it every single night, and uh, Adams always does a huge crowd hype part in the middle of the tune. We do this little breakdown, and he. Gets, gets the crowd going real big and gets them all hooping and hollering, and then we drop into that big, heavy last section. How do you find time to uh, practice and keep your chops up with so much road travel? Uh, man, that that is freaking – that is tough. I uh, it, Sometimes it's sometimes it's easier than, than – some tours are easier than others. Uh, we have – we do – we're pretty lucky to have – we have a pretty sweet ride for tour. We have a, a big, big Dodge Sprinter that's like – one of those extra long ones and we only have five people on the road. So everyone can kind of gets their own row in there, you know? Um, so there, there is enough room to practice in the van, but you also got to kind of watch the side eye you're getting from everybody. And (laughs) (laughs) you gotta, you gotta push it, push it as far as you can without driving everyone crazy. And also it's just kind of a, you know, a lot that, that big old van catches a lot of wind and it's a little nerve wracking having your instrument out sometimes in there when you're rolling back and forth. But, uh, but we just try to we try to be you know we try to use our time efficiently and if we get to the venue an hour before we need to be it's like let's not all just scramble let's try to get in get in some tunes right now you know what little we can uh and uh yeah so we all just try to be res- respectful of each other's space back in the hotel room too you know like if i'm if i'm staying with adams in the same room for multiple days we'll we'll kind of we kind of have an unspoken agreement of one morning he gets the room to himself to practice and I'll go for a jog or something. And then we'll switch off the next day, you know, try to get, give everyone a chance. It definitely, it definitely suffers on the road. Sometimes it's more like, it's more like the last few days before I leave, I'm like really busting my tail and, and <laughs> at my house to try to try to make sure I can get everything up to speed and get momentum on it before I get out there, you know, you guys have played some pretty uh, some pretty cool shows and with a lot of really cool acts. Is there any uh, in particular gig that you've done thus far that has really been like a standout? Like, wow, this is, I can't believe we're playing this place or with this band or or something along those lines. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's been a few of those. Uh, uh, that that yeah, that big yonder tour we went on that was that was kind of our first time being around a, a band of that caliber for that amount of time. So that was that was unique, just seeing how their day to day operations go. You know, that was just a huge learning experience for us, like an operation that big with that many team members and that much gear. Like, how do they do it? You know. Uh, and then, as far as a, a personal show that we played, we had a really really fun set out at the Hillberry Music Festival in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, um, where, and I think it was the it was the the talent buyer for the festival or, or the somebody in up the up the totem pole it was their idea to play twice and do a have a have a guest set 
And we were like, well, yeah, we got a couple friends out there. And they were like, no, we'll kind of give you the, we'll kind of give you the hookup on that. Anyways, they had, they had, uh, Tim Carbone sitting in with us for a few and Sam Bush on a couple. Holy cow. Uh, yeah. And this, and this was years back too. This was like, I was a lot more starstruck then than I would be now. It was, it was super exciting, you know? Uh, and Sam was so cool about it. Like, I think someone just asked his manager. They couldn't even find him at the moment. <laughs> and and the manager was like, yeah, let me just text him real quick. And he, he texted him, hey, do you want to sit in later and put on all this explanation about it? And Sam Bush just texts back, what key? <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, that was it. And he had a big workshop to do that day. So we didn't, uh, we didn't see him or anything. The first time we saw him was him walking onto the stage. Uh. And he knew knew the key, and we ripped it up. That's amazing. How long were you on the road with Yonder? Uh, we did about – it felt like a month, but I think it was somewhere between three and four weeks, I think. That's – man, yeah. that's a and healthy it, amount of time. Yeah, it was it was pretty heavy touring too. I think uh, I think we were doing at least at least four shows a week, most of the time five. Um, and uh, – yeah, it was and it's it's pretty rigorous, you know, because they they've got a driver, so they were crushing all those drives, you know, at night after the show. And a bus, don't they? Uh, yeah, yeah, that <laughs> that helps. <laughs> yeah, that'll really do it. So we were looking a little more haggard than them, I think, uh, <laughs> just because we were duking it out for those late night driving shifts, you know. Yeah, was Jake still in the band when you were touring with them? Um. Yes. Cool. Yeah. He. Yeah. He uh, had I, – I, I mentioned earlier I took lessons with him for a while. He was It was actually right after that, so that was that was cool to get to get to meet in person and get a little more comfortable than those those weird Zoom lessons, you know. But the recording of this album, did you do it in one big chunk or did you guys break it up? We uh, we, we, we did ourselves a favor, I think, on the, this recording this album. We, uh, we, we broke it off in chunks and like – we like we only went in with the intention of doing three, maybe four songs on a session, you know. Um, and you know, we, we track everything live, but we end up going back and punching some stuff in. We we do the harmony vocals after the fact, uh, so it always ends up being a couple days in there. But but in contrast, like the first couple albums we did, we would go in with like only two days paid for in the studio. Like we've got to get it done in this amount of time, or we're gonna be waiting to save up money, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And we had some freaking marathon ones like that, where it was like midnight. We were still in there and, uh, oh man, those can get pretty trying. Yeah. Just looking at the guy who's like, just wants to go home to the engineers. It's like, uh, it's guys, it's midnight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's like, you were a lot more encouraging a few hours ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your main X, uh, is that a F five G? It is, yeah. It's uh, uh, 2007. Um, so that's uh, Harvey, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That should uh, be. Yep. Uh, yeah, I I got that mandolin probably about seven years ago. And man, I love it. I mean, I've I've played a lot of badass mandolins that 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 blow it out of the water, but I've also played a few extremely expensive mandolins that I walked away feeling pretty proud. Like, Oh, mine can, mine can hang with that one. You know what I mean? Oh, def I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> that was the first instrument I got where I felt like I'm taking this serious. Like that was the first like expensive mandolin that I, that I purchased. And that was a game changer for me. Like I'm committing myself to, to playing mandolin and not acoustic guitar gigs or, you know, pickup gigs like that. Man, yeah, it was it was it was exactly that moment for me too. It was just like the the instrument. I mean, I, I in a really shallow sense, it's like I can't I can't be caught carrying this thing around unless I can make it sing. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, and so yeah, it definitely and, and just the just the playability. You know, when when you're used to playing kind of a, a cheaper instrument, and you move up to that, you're like, oh man, I can play this thing all day. This isn't gonna get old. You know? Yeah, I like mine so much that um, I didn't want to sell it. I got a duff. And I didn't want to sell it, but then I'm like, I can't, this is such a nice mandolin to just keep it here in a case is like ludicrous to me. And so I sold it to a local guy with the, with the, uh, you know, the caveat, like if you sell it, you have to sell it back to me first. You have to offer it to me because oh yeah, yeah I'm like, I, that has a lot of sentimental value to me, but at the same time, I can't see it not being played by somebody. So, 
So I get to I get to sit in with him every now and again and get to play it. It's like seeing a good old friend. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's a I think that's a good solid move, man. Because yeah, when they sit in the case, it's like we we were just, I was just talking to a uh, uh, buddy the other day on the on the way home from from tour um, about the only time I've ever played a lore. It, it had come out of a case and I could just tell it just had that feeling to it. Like, Oh, this thing has not been played in a minute. You know, like it was, it, it wasn't set up. It wasn't, you know, but, uh, uh, so I, so I played it for a while and it was fun and we left and everyone was like, dang, how was it? How was it? And I was like, honestly, I felt like it needed some work, you know, <laughs> like, like it was, it was a lore and I am really excited and I can't wait to post that picture on Instagram or whatever. But <laughs> But it was, uh, it was in a couple, you know, a few ways I was a little disappointed. And actually, that, that was an elderly, and I don't think, I don't think, I don't think that was their fault. I don't think they had had it that long. And it was just still in the condition that it arrived in, I believe. Yeah, I've got, I've definitely got some dreams and aspirations about my next mandolin. But yeah, this, this F5G is definitely all the instrument I need for the road and for this band. And, and, that, and that's also kind of the other nice thing about it is like, it's not, it's not a $20,000 instrument, you know, on, on this dark stage in the middle of the night with three other bands on the bill. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's kind of that bit of comfort. Now, with that being said, the moment I have one of those mandolins, it'll be on all those stages, no matter what, (laughs) but, but, uh, I think that's what I tell myself now. I'm like, well, at least, at least, at least it's a good one to have out here in, in the trenches in the dirty work, you know? What do you um? What do you string it up, and what kind of picks do you use? Um, I use uh the CT fifty five blue chip, and then I use uh the uh Diadario EJ seventy fives. Okay, right? yeah, yeah, the uh like the little bit heavier ones, the uh, Ronnie McCurry. I think Ronnie McCurry. Yeah, yeah, them. yeah. The yeah the 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 green package ones. Man, that was that was a huge difference for me when I moved up to those little bit heavier ones. It's just like. Uh, I think that was around the time I was starting to, to develop a little bit more skill with my right hand. And it gave me a lot of confidence, gave me a lot of like just something for my right hand to feel, you know, um, uh, like it, it, it gave a little bit of punch back and it kind of was, was made it easier for me to measure what I was doing with my hand, I guess is, is the way to describe it. But, but yeah, it just gave me a little, a little more confidence and a, a little more awareness of what I was feeling with my right hand when I was like in a loud stage scenario, you know? Yeah, how do you? What do you? What do you run it through when you play live? Um, I use a, a, a Grace Design um, Alex, uh, and I use a. I, I do have a a Strymon uh, Big Sky Reverb pedal, um, and I. I mean, you know that, that those things can do some crazy, crazy stuff. But uh, I, I generally just use kind of a a studio reverb out of it, like all the time, just kind of keep it on there. And then I, I have a couple of fun floaty things that I use for some intros and stuff. But, uh, and then I have a uh, um, an analog delay delay pedal. I'm forgetting the maker right now. It's a common one though. It's just been on my board so long. I can't even. <laughs> it seems like it's part of it now. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> uh, and I, yeah, I haven't I haven't played a lot played around a lot with pedals like. I was pretty excited to to get my grace, you know, just because it was obvious that I was becoming the industry standard industry standard. And I had a few people that told me, you know, yeah, they, they are like plug and play. They're probably going to sound better than what you're using, you know. Uh, so I was I'm, I'm always pumped to like, you know, I want to start uh, uh, exploring the idea of getting a Felix and using a microphone on board, too. Um, but beyond like beyond just like producing a more clean, uh, more powerful tone, I don't really get into like a bunch of crazy effects, you know, um, I have, and I have fun doing it by myself, but it's never, I've never got the same kick out of it on stage. And the other thing is, is I have two guys in my band that really like doing that. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it's nice to have some, ba- some balance there, you know, it's, you know, uh, I feel like they, they do, they do enough to give us you know, a, a unique sound or, or a big, bigger sound when we need one. What kind of pickup do you use in your mandolin? It's a, a K and K twin spot. Yeah. Those are a killer. Yeah. That's the only thing I've ever, I've ever had. I was, I was lucky enough. Our, so our bass player, Tom, he was a luthier. Um, and still is a luthier, but it used to be his, his main gig, uh, for a long time. And 
he actually sold the mandolin that I'm playing now. He sold it to a guy when it was brand new. And then a few years later, I was telling Tom, like, hey, I think I want to get more serious. I want to get a new mandolin, but I want it to be something, you know, significantly better than what I've got. And he was like, yeah, I'll keep an eye out. And like later that week, that that guy called him back and was like, hey, man, I'm getting up there in years. I don't think I'm ever going to get this thing out of the case again. Uh, will you buy it back from me? And he was like, well, I don't know if the store will, but I got a band member who just just hit me up. And, and I mean, it all worked out really well. We were like driving through his town on tour like three days later or something, too. So we got to stop in. Oh, man, meant to be. Yeah, it, it was meant to be. It was it was pretty nuts. He was a he was a he was an old timer who was just kind of trying to clear out his instruments and get down to his favorite ones and spend time with them. And he honestly hadn't even played. I can, you know, there was no wear and tear on it. It looks it felt it felt brand new, you know. But yeah, Tom Tom instantly was like gave me the rundown of like you need a K and K twin spot in. I'll I'll install that for you and uh, gave me the options on what to use for a preamp. And I think the first first thing I used was a tone bone for a long time. And then I think it was just two years ago. Everyone in the band kind of moved up to those Grace designs at the same time. I I I want I definitely want to yeah explore getting a clip on at some point. I think I think if I just tried to have a stage microphone, I I don't know. I just I move around quite a bit, uh, and I don't, I don't think I would be very efficient with it. But I am gonna is kind of made it one of my soft goals for the year to try to try to get into the microphone world with it a little bit with a clip on and see what else see what else we can pull out of it. Well, I've already, we kind of, normally I ask if you would do something that you would recommend 10 minutes a day, what would you work on? But I think we kind of, kind of caught that already with like the cross picking exercises and, and some of the yeah, stuff you that, talked about with right hand, you know, and warming up. But, um, I do have one more question left and that is, do you have a favorite beer? Um, I, I do have a favorite beer. It changes quite often, uh. But one one that I'm is my favorite that I'm stoked for every year when the time gets right is an Ozark uh, Ozark Beer Company uh, Cream Stout. Ooh, oh man, it is so good. And I'm not, I'm not even one for like I'm not even one for super heavy beers like that, you know. Uh, and I think they generally only make them, you know, from like November to the to the end of winter or something, or maybe that's just when they're in when they're out and on tap more. But man, if you're ever in the Northwest Arkansas area, don't don't pass on it. Perfect. Well, that's great. Well, man, Ethan, thank you for doing this. I mean, I know you're heading out on the road here to play tonight. What's um? Where can everybody find you? What's the best way to keep up? Obviously, I'll put all the links down below. But any place in particular besides the band website? Yeah, just uh, just the website, um, Instagram and Spotify. You know, we, we we're streaming on on everything that you should be streaming on: Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, all that stuff. Our Instagram page is at Arkansas Music. We've still still got a Facebook page, though I feel like those are going the way of the <laughs> Um But yeah, and just uh, everyone keep in touch. Feel free to reach out, and we hope to see everybody on the road and hope to get to meet you in person soon, man. Yeah, same here, man. That'd be great, dude. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. I've been a fan for a long time, and it is uh, I was pretty excited to tell them. Tell my bandmates what I was doing today. Oh, that's awesome, man. Thank you.